0: you're listening to the spirit and truth podcast i'm maggie ulmer and on this week's episode matt tony and i continue the conversation from last week about moving from a consuming culture in a church to an active equipping culture in church today's episode focuses more on what it takes to take ownership and responsibility for our lives with jesus and just how important that is of course, like last week, this is also a passionate and exciting conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Also, do us a favor. We would be so grateful if you would hit that subscribe button and share this
1: podcast with a friend.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maggie Almer, and we're going to have introductions today. To my left.
1: Tony Meltenberger
2: and Matt Reynolds.
0: And it's just us. Emma is on a well-deserved vacation and uh, we are going to continue some of the conversation that we had last week.
1: Yeah, that was fun. I really enjoyed last week's conversation and how convicted we all were about it. Uh, as I was kind of reviewing my notes for today's conversation, I was like, man, we are passionate. We about have <laughs> opinions. About the idea of ownership. Matt, could you give us like a two minute or less overview of what we talked about
2: last week? <laughs> I really should have listened to that podcast <laughs> again. <laughs> um, no, I, well, l- I first want to say, I think the reason that we came off so passionate is because the topic that we were discussing, it really does kind of get to the heart of Spirit and Truth as a ministry. I mean, a lot of what we do is about the kind of shift that we were describing. And it was the the shift from um, moving from sort of a consumer-oriented Christian that's sort of just, um, you know, politely participating in some Jesus stuff and consuming things to that kind of help you feel better and maybe live a little better to someone who really takes ownership of the ministry who lives you know a full-on Christian life um, who doesn't see the mission of Jesus as something else that someone else in the church does but you you take ownership of it yourself and you believe that you're called to share your faith to be engaged in disciple making um, to pursue the presence of God in your own life, and that it 's not not someone else 's job to sort of get you there, but that you 're going to pursue that yourself with Jesus is that accurate
0: i would, I would say so yes
2: so it 's really just christianity we 're just talking.
1: to <laughs> and and but today we 're going to look at it from a leadership perspective specifically, like how do we as leaders kind of lean in to what it what it looks like to create a culture of creating Christian identity as owners is that the best way to say that Maggie
0: sure I mean I I agree with that and and I think we're gonna talk about you know the way I think about it is how to and and equipping I mean there are all of these churchy words that get thrown around quite a bit and I often think that it's helpful to unpack what those means because you know this, Tony, uh, about the word discipleship. That word gets thrown around left, right, and everywhere. Yeah. And um, But what it means in particular terms is often very <laughs> vague,
2: very different from
0: person to person.
2: Yeah, I think last time our conversation uh, was, was really about this sort of philosophical shift. Um, and we wanted to, to take some time to talk about practically in the life of a church, how do you help? move the culture and people in such a way that they, um, well, that they can take ownership. <laughs> you know, that yeah. that we're not, um, sometimes, and I think we m- talked about this a little bit last time, we make practical decisions that actually, maybe even unintentionally, reinforce a consumer culture in our church. And so, um, you know, I have a lot of questions. I don't know that I have all the answers by any stretch, but I do have questions about How we get serious about this kind of shift with staff culture, with um, how we do worship services, how we approach evangelism and disciple making. I mean, this kind of touches every area of the church, really.
0: Mm -hmm. So here's a question. Um, You mentioned the word staff culture, and I I know that not every church has staff, but um, most churches have you know, invested leaders, whether they're paid or volunteer, yeah. who sort of help run the day-to-day stuff. And I'm just going to throw a hypothetical out there. Um, I think we're all familiar, hypothetically, w- with the fact that sometimes our volunteers or our staff people, they get worn out. They get weary. And that sometimes affects culture. You know, how do we... How do we deal with some of that? Like,
2: well, I think probably, I mean, uh, one of the places to begin is a, is an honest, and this is not easy, I'll just preface it, an, onical, an honest and critical assessment of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah. Because I, I think some of what wears out volunteers is a pressure to keep doing a bunch of things that the church has sort of always done or to keep adding new programs to the church. And that's not um getting people to just buy into offer, you know, having the church offer more stuff is not the same thing as the kind of ownership that we're talking about. Yeah. Because you can keep people busy doing church activities and them not be engaging in the sort of the full Christian life and their own sort of personal evangelism and disciple making that that I think we're trying to get at. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, just to, to reiterate, um, as leaders in the church, one of the things I'm constantly convicted of is why are we doing what we're doing? And are the things that we're doing actually intentionally moving us towards the direction that we want to go, or are we just doing them because that's what the church is we've been used to for yeah. a long time yeah. and making changes in that arena when it's things that the church has been used to. Like I've, I've been in traditional churches, you know, I've pastored in these kind of settings. I'm not suggesting at all that this is easy, right? Even things that 80% of your leadership would say, yeah, this really isn't serving a lot of purpose anymore. This particular, meal that we do every year that takes a lot of time and volunteers but like what is the actual missional purpose of it I understand that changing those things or trying to move those things in a different direction is is can be very complicated relationally
1: I I would also say this If, if Emma was here right now yeah she would say something about (laughs) Prayer. <laughs> and so I, I think it's important, I, but I think it's an important voice that needs to be heard. Yeah. It's just usually hers. And so let me say this, right? Burnout comes mm. when we're performing for a congregation and performing for God instead of resting with God. Amen. Right? And so we, we get burnout when we think we're trying to produce something on our own accord, right? One of the things that I loved about last week's episode is that we... Matt, you, you said, um, I got to the place in my church when I realized everything we did here we could do without God.
0: Yeah, that was a real... It was um, a, a powerful, powerful point. That was a real word.
1: Yeah, and everything so was I think that really burnout miserable. happens yeah. when we're trying to be God instead of trying to dwell mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a leader and you have leaders, making space and creating a culture That says dwelling with God is more important than performing for man is probably the very first step in creating space for ownership and Christian disciplines to happen.
0: Yeah. So like with all things, I would say that probably begins with the individual who wants to implement the idea. Mm -hmm. So I know that one of the things that I've always had a personal conviction for um, and my household has always had a personal conviction for is to... Um, to practice the presence of God at home, mm-hmm. and um, that sounds like like a big vague thing. But what does that mean the 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 presence of God is is the kingdom of God is present wherever God reigns, mm-hmm. and so when we practice the presence of God at home, what we do is we every we try to orient everything around glorifying and honoring God. Now we're not walking around like singing hymns and praying every five seconds, but we do have a high value for gratitude and honor in our family. So, um, and it's funny when you practice in your personal life, Lord, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for this. And when even like, if you get, I, you know, we had car problems not too long ago, even in the midst of that, I was like, Lord, You've got this, you know, practicing, trusting the Lord actively by speaking those things out loud. And bringing those things into your relational dynamic at home, it will become embedded and then you can embed it in your work environment.
1: Well, I think that's a great point. And, and I would also just reiterate what you're saying there is like the Christian identity was never meant to be parceled out for work hours and non-work hours. Yes. Yeah. And so if, if we want a church... And we want to create a church. If you're a pastor or an elder or a church leader, if you want to create a culture that promotes that oneness with the Lord, it has to be all the time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And and the practices have to be all the time. And the goal then is is to really lean in to how do I show someone else
2: um, what God has shown me and our time together? You know, I think just to get really practical, um, one of the ways that we help make that integration happen is I think we can, we actually do now. I don't know. People may disagree with this. I think we do too many things at the church building yeah Mm. because sometimes, and I mentioned this last time, our methods speak louder than the actual message that they're receiving in the midst of it. And one of my convictions around, for example, like discipleship opportunities, if everything we offer is always, Physically at the church building, small groups, Bible studies, whatever we meet in a church classroom, with a designated leader, and they come to to receive certain content sitting in a church classroom. Over time, sort of what we what we just unintentionally teach them is the God stuff happens at church, mm-hmm. and, and then I go back. You know, that's one little slice of my life pie, and then I go back to my normal life the rest of the week. And so maybe the God stuff happens on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. The rest of the week, I kind of go about my everyday business. And I think sometimes having simple, simple things like um, having, you know, I meet with church people a lot, like in coffee shops and like yeah. praying together at a table in a coffee shop doesn't seem like that big a deal. But over time, these little things, I think, start to teach people, no, we're in a public place and we still pray. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I sense a little awkwardness with people. Mm-hmm. Like if we're going to have, you know, not just a Lord bless this food, but we actually were like, let's just like stop and pray about this a little bit. And we're sitting in a coffee shop and we're going to pray for five minutes. You know, I do sense a little bit like, oh, mm. this is a little bit aw- Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like are people looking at me? Right. Or like, you know, having, sit, you know, meeting, so, you know, at a restaurant and we've got our Bibles on the table and like, you know, I think there is value to just pr- making practical shifts to, bring our spiritual practices into the settings that sort of relate to everyday living
0: yeah no this is a real thing and actually I remember I remember when I specifically decided I'm going to pray grace in public which that was a big deal for me like you know 15 20 years ago um, gosh I was that was a long time ago anyway <laughs> sorry I had a moment where I was like yep I was still a grown-up 20 years ago I wasn't a kid okay anyway Um, that was a big deal for me to like bow my head in a moment that acknowledged something larger than myself in public I mean that felt very exposing to me but it became ingrained and then it became it's very ingrained say for instance in my children who tell me when I'm not doing it like my habit is still to just sit down and eat (laughs) You know, for better or for worse. And my kids are like, Hey, mom, Grace. And I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, we our family does that and I would say ninety seven percent of the time we uh hold hands when we're praying at yeah, a table. Yeah. And I've got a whole bunch of different comments over the mm-hmm. years of people coming up like it's usually positive, like, hey, I never see that. That's really cool that your yeah. family, whatever, prayed together. And to me, it's like no big deal. That's just what we do. But we're trying to, that's part of what we're trying to teach our kids is like the Jesus stuff doesn't just happen in the church building. This is who we are. This is the way that life happens. Yeah. And, um, you know, a practical um, shift that just has come to mind as we're talking about this, and I just wrote a note to myself. One way I I might describe um, some of the shift is, how can we intentionally teach people to be less dependent on the church for their discipleship? Mm. And now this, I don't want, I'm not trying to say the church doesn't have a role in their discipleship. What I'm saying is we don't want to create Christians that are just entirely dependent on church programs to feed themselves spiritually. Mm. So for example, um, In kids and youth ministry, for a long time, our model has been, and I think this is more of a, this is a modern phenomenon in the church, not a long church history kind of a thing. Um, We create church programs that sort of make young person discipleship focused on what they can get in our kids, men, or youth ministry, and less about what the parents are doing to engage the kids at home. Well, the reality is the kids are going to be, even if they come on Wednesday nights and Sunday morning, they're with, you know, those programs maybe like three hours a right.
0: week. Yes,
2: and all the rest of the time is going whatever they experience at home is going to trump what they're experiencing in those short times. So, so one of the questions I constantly have is how could we uh, empower families to take ownership of their discipleship and really augment what they're doing with resources that the church is helping to provide. But not that we're creating systems that sort of help them to be more dependent upon what we're providing.
0: Yeah, we're not supposed to be the primary resources for your child's discipleship. That is, that is the role of the parent. And, and actually, I would, I think it's interesting that you're, we're actually briefly touching here on in essence, family ministry, because it may seem like, well, why? Why are we talking about that? Well, because like the culture of church is ultimately born out of familial relationship. And what you bring as an individual and as a family unit, if the church culture doesn't understand itself in terms of what it's meant to be, how it's meant to express the things of God, who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and what its expectations of followers are, then the the culture that's brought will overtake the church. And so that's why, you know, that's why we're talking about the family part.
1: Yeah. And one of the distinctions that I think is really important is the difference between serving and training. Mm. And on our weekends, I use this um, serving training illustration that I got from Navigators Church Ministries. And um, one of the beautiful things about this is, is that we serve the masses, but we train individuals. Yeah. And, and I think that, that we have to keep in mind the shift that in, you know, if you want to go big in the world, you have to get small relationally. And Jesus modeled this for us, obviously with the 12, but how Jesus spent his time is he would heal a lot of people. He would preach to the masses, but his investment was in twelve And so. When we think about this, if practically, if you're a church leader, who in your church right now, are you actively training? Mm. If you were to die tomorrow, who would carry the cross, mm. right? If, if you're, you were hit by a bus, who could continue the vision of what it means to make disciples? And so nowhere in scripture does it say, go and make churches. Churches ideally are made up of disciples. And so we have to train disciples to create communities that become the church to follow Christ. And so we, we have to think about this relationally. And so pastor, church leader, if you're listening and your work does not engage you with other humans who you're intentionally training to follow Christ, then I would challenge you to reevaluate your work week. The, the, the reports are important, but the reports are... Will come and they will go and how you pour into someone will echo for generations
2: that's true amen you know another example of this ownership um kind of shift that i thought of um you know we talked about just briefly the family ministry one also i think this uh, about bible study Mm. because our tendency in churches has always been to To create spaces where we're delivering the content that we want people to get. Which is not bad. In fact, it's important. We need to teach people the faith. We need to teach people the the scripture. Hopefully, they're learning the scripture both through preaching on Sunday and other things that the church is offering. But perhaps even more important than that is, are we teaching people how to actually read and study the Bible themselves? Yeah. And this is uh, just again, it's a subtle shift. But if we spend all our time, this is that kind of what I'm talking about: creating dependency on the programs of the church, where they don't actually know how to read the Bible unless they're in a class where someone is feeding them the content. Then we're kind of then we're setting them up to fail long term in the Christian life. You know, we want to. This is that equipping discipling mentality that you're talking about, Tony. How can not just how can I? Um, encourage people to come receive content how can i help them learn how to pursue this in their own everyday life learning the scripture now they need community to help decipher what they're reading and to like you know have some discernment and guardrails so that they just you know i mean this is all has to happen in community yeah
0: the bible's not like an easy book to read no
2: they need help and that's i guess that's my point uh the help that they need is certainly understanding it but even more than that how to figure out how to approach it so that when they're reading it on a Thursday morning at home because that's what we're hopefully teaching people to do that they can actually approach the scripture themselves and their their entire you know discipline with the scripture isn't based on just stuff that the church offers
0: yeah um So one of the things that comes to mind as we talk about this and you sort of hinted at this a little bit in the last episode, Matt, is that these things, these processes take time. We're talking about a process and a type of investment that is slower than, for instance, um, what it takes to implement a program, launch it, funnel people through it, and then, you know, get feedback on the other end. What we're talking about is, is sort of like the the nitty gritty, the deep work of shifting the way people approach the things of life, yeah. the foundation of how they view the world and their life as Christians.
2: Were you looking at my notes that I wrote down right no, here? No, I wasn't. I can't oh, see anything over here because the last thing, the phrase that I wrote down as we were talking is. Uh, play the long game it is the long game i mean that's really i mean that's a big part of what we're talking about and this is honestly this is the hard part for church leaders and i at least i know as as a pastor this is the part that's been this is the tension that you feel because like i you know shared a little bit in the last episode you Mm -hmm. want that instant gratification of like oh look how many people showed up to this thing that we offered Mm -hmm. and um When we make our decisions for the church based on those kind of motivations, inevitably, I mean, the results are short term, you know?
1: Yeah. I'll say that in our church, right? uh, I'm an associate pastor of disciple making at Centerville Grace. And we have been intentionally trying to build a disciple making culture in our church for eight years, okay? Eight years now, two of those, three of those through COVID. But we, we, we kept plowing through, right? So we are currently in about, um, we have about 55 um, disciple-making relationships in the church. So one-on-one, one-on-two disciple-making. And in some cases, we're, we're into what would be called spiritual grandparenting too, right? So where we've gone multiple to the third generation. We don't have any that have reached the fourth yet, but we're close. We're really close. Some of our youth group kids are making disciples. But but hear me, right? When I say this, it's been 7 years to get to 55. Yeah. Right? And um there's we we worship roughly around 300 on a weekend and as people come in, we don't have enough disciple makers to show them. You know, like it is a real tenuous point because we are committed to disciple making and yet it it's so incredibly slow.
0: Yeah. It takes a real commitment and investment um so did you have something you want to say Matt?
2: no i actually i just really love that and i just um i want to say actually the only way you got to that place is by uh leadership who was all in on it yeah, yeah. i mean the church doesn't move in this direction unless the leaders are willing to play the long game
1: and, and honestly in this case covid helped because we Stopped counting attendance so much, yeah. yeah, right. So attendance stops becoming a metric of success, right? And new visitors, and what we're doing with new visitors, and on ramps and off ramps, and all the things that go into building, um, y- you know, the North American church today as we know it. A lot of those were set to the wayside during COVID, yep. which ended up being a blessing. Now the other blessing, let's and let's just get real about it, as I'm about to step on some toes, <laughs> is that um, we're a debt-free church. And so giving um, has a different meaning at our church than a lot of churches mm. because there is no mortgage that we have to hit, right? And so a lot of the choices that we make, if we can just be honest as leaders, is to get people in the doors so that we can pay the bills. Yeah. So when you free yourself from that idea, if you can live, uh, have a debt-free movement, a debt-free church, then all of a sudden you've got a lot more options to play the long game right and we all know that when the church congregants feel the pressure that they're worried about what's going to get paid and what's not going to get paid then all of a sudden everybody tightens up oh yeah and we have to go to what everybody else is doing cuz it's clearly working for them that's not working for us and so we 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 sacrifice long-term results for short-term needs that the tyranny of the urgent as they say
0: so i want to talk about um a little bit of the underlying dynamic that you just described which is uh, as we're having this conversation i can hear all of the yeah buts you know the yeah "Yeah, okay but you have no idea about this so-and-so who's on my committee or blah 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 and these are the sort of um very real dynamics that do end up having to be dealt with at some point and um i feel like it's important to give permission and to lay down a couple rationales. One thing that I feel like is it's just important to be said that the church does not exist to fulfill any one individual's personal needs. Okay. So we all have those people in our churches who have done XYZ ministry for so many years or who have held a particular role or are a particular type of fixture. And then as soon as change encroaches upon that territory. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like we kicked a puppy or we like tried to chop someone's leg off, you know, something horrible happened.
1: I would say that I think that brings up a really important um, takeaway for leaders. If you're beginning to think about how to institute this kind of culture in your church, um, if you're beginning to think about how to move this needle in your church, mm-hmm. one of the things that you have to do is you have to teach the vision of the fullness of life with Christ, right? We have to teach the vision about where we're going because the pain of leaving where we are is great.
0: Yeah. Grieving even these small things is very real.
1: So, so we have to be able to say, hey, this is why this matters. And it can't be to have a bigger church. Yeah. Right. So this goes back to that personal motive, right? Do you understand how great life is? when you dwell in the house of the Lord, mm-hmm. when you dwell next to him, right? When you live as the psalmist says, right? Like those those kind of things are what we as leaders must begin to cast the vision for because no one can go to a place they haven't been without seeing it. And so so we have to teach our way through it, sermon, right? And then we have to, um, to pour into people who are also like, like barriers, right? Like, like barriers. There's words in there. Um, (laughs) and, and so I, am a big fan of creating a team, right? Put a team of people together and say, Hey, you're part of our culture team. And so we're going to change the culture of the church. And those can be the first 12 people, six people, eight people, and make them different ages and races and, Uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, right? Make them all different things so that that permeates every part of the church and basically begin to plant light in those parts so that we can see the shift and change in the church. And those are the people who should get the majority of your attention that you're intentionally training. So if you want to change the culture, you've got to cast a vision so that people can follow you there. It's that Habakkuk 2 -2 verse, right? Mm -hmm. Write it down clearly so that the heralds may run with it get clear about what life looks like inside your movement when everyone is committed to the fullness of life with Christ
0: at the appointed time Yeah. is the ending part of that. I just uh, think that that's an important part too, because we're talking about playing the long game. It's important to have patience in these processes.
2: Another uh, kind of principle in this kind of shift, at, at least or maybe especially for leaders, um, that I've been thinking about as we talk is you have to be willing to say no to stuff Yep. as a church Mm -hmm. and as an individual, like in your own schedule, but just collectively as a church, like people have ideas all the time. Mm. And even when they're like, well, you know, I'll run with it. It still may not be the right decision because if they implement this thing, they're going to pull in other volunteers, which takes up more capacity of them. It's likely going to cost, some dollars. It just takes, uh, extra sort of like the, just the energy that, you know, when you're promoting and sharing things with your church, they can only kind of handle so many things like just the saturation of information and ideas. So I just, I don't know. I've just had this growing conviction over the years that we just say yes to way too many things as a church. And I mean, when I look at the church historically, like, there's so many things that we do in North American church culture that just doesn't seem like it was a part of normal church life in the past. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We just like do all kinds of stuff. Like every little idea that someone has, we're like, yeah, let's do that. I mean, you know, I was a part of the church in the past, um, which a church that I loved. But when you asked around the community, And even asked the church people themselves, what do you think we're known for? They would say we're, um, well, I think we're known as the busy church. We always have something going on. There's cars in the parking lot every day of the week. We have, and if you look at their newsletter, again, love the church, love the people, beautiful place. There's like, it's like a smorgasbord of 5,000 things that you can do, but it's all, you know, church program stuff, and none of it is bad, But it's awfully hard to get people to sort of take ownership of their own spiritual life and live into these some kind of these kind of personal disciplines and even have the space to disciple other people if they're just always at a church activity. You know, like when they're always like at the next quilt making thing or bingo night Mm -hmm. or kids fun activity or whatever, fill in the blank that we do as churches. I'm like, I don't know. I mean... I know it's not as simplistic as that as this, but I read Acts and I don't see any of that crap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well,
0: I think to your point, Matt, I think that um, as we're sitting around here talking about, you know, vision and implementing culture, you know, one of the questions that people may be having is vision of what? Culture around what? And I think that, you know, maybe for the people sitting at this table, it goes without saying, but the culture is Jesus. Yeah you have to understand that the main thing is the main thing and will always be the main thing. And um, that's where real fruitfulness, real growth comes from, is making Jesus the thing at the center of everything. And I know that for some people that may sound overly simplistic, but it's, it's really all we need. He is everything and everything that he pours out um, revealed in scripture and r- led through the Holy Spirit is enough. It really is enough.
1: Before uh, I let Maggie close this up, because this is probably a really great place to land the plane. L- let me just say one more thing to the leader who's heard this and now feels particularly convicted and overwhelmed. Uh, let me just say this. One degree shift. Yeah. If you think about this, um, you're not going to do it all tomorrow. It's a long game. It's just, just do one thing. A one degree shift over an extended period of time can take you to a new location. So maybe that's changing something in your home life, creating space in your schedule. Maybe that's changing the way you Sabbath and saying no to a couple programs. Maybe that's finding one person to pour into and train. Maybe it's just one thing. One thing can change everything as long as you're focused on on what Maggie said so beautifully on Jesus.
0: Amen. Well, that's been our podcast for today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you would do us the honor of hitting that subscribe button and um, sharing this podcast with a friend, we would be so grateful. And it is really only because of generous honorable, lovely people like yourselves that this ministry exists. We exist entirely as a donor-funded entity. So if you are interested in supporting the ministry and work of Spirit and Truth, head on over to our website, spiritandtruth.life slash give, and there you will find all of the information you need to help us out. Thank you so much, and we will come back to you in the next conversation.